everyone. Uh, I know you guys have been now to a lot of shows, so we're going to try to keep this fun and engaging as we can, and we've got a great panel for that. Uh, I think that if you, if you know them, they're going to be giving you I think, a lot of insight and also giving a lot of fun. So, um, I mean, one of the things when it comes to journalists, national security, there was a reason when the Pegasus case started out. We were all excited. There was a lot of excitement. I think a lot of us were a bit wary, but there was a lot of excitement, especially when the order setting up the community. Especially said, oh, you know what, you can't keep using national security as an excuse. It was again a centralized authority and Indra Gandhi, we have a Narendra Modi today. The kind of government in power then the kind of government in power now, these are the parallels. This is the condition under which national security is invoked. The laws are actually secondary to the political atmosphere that exists. The laws are just a manifestation of this. The reality is that all this stems from the kind of politics we find ourselves And I mean, we've encountered that at Caravan Quick. Recently in Kashmir, one of our journalists, Jai Kankaray, actually reported on how the army was organizing its own uh, We have photographs of the army, the people getting down from army trucks, the army men helping them take down protest banners, actually. So the army is these sort of different protests which will strengthen the Indian state's peace. So, we cannot find any other reason to file a case. There has been quoted, everybody has been ascribed to all journalistic work done. What do they do? They say that the people who have been named claim that they are now under threat from militants because they've been named in this. father is coming to the police. There is no law under which they can do that. Uh, tell your son to behave. If he doesn't behave, tell your son to come here. Uh, 
Shah is summoned, that inquiry is still going on. Is there a law under which this inquiry is going on? Is there an FIR? Is there a complaint? Is there a hearing? We are still unclear, but that inquiry is underway. The kind of pressure that puts on every journalist who will report from Kashmir is quite evident. Uh, in the case of the farm protests, on the day the farm protests entered here, Navreet Singh died. We had eyewitnesses who told us that he had been shot at. This was reported with the names of the eyewitnesses. For reporting this and contradicting the official versions, sedition cases that you filed against my colleague, the editor, you know, those and the owners of Calabar, that sedition cases were proceeding as part of the During the Delhi riot, and I mean, the Delhi riots are particularly bad example because, I mean, I know cases are proceeding in court today, but what has happened on the ground is that when your entire executive is compromised, the entire basis of prosecution itself is flawed. The Delhi police itself is behaving in a manner that cannot be justified. Again, I go back to history. If we had actually looked at 1984 and police conduct at that time and actually taken action, none of this would happen today. But our reporters who were on the spot, who were reporting, were beaten up by a right wing At the same time, one of our reporters went to a police station where he was beaten up by the ace. These are all cases that are proceeding. No action is being taken. This is all in the past one. This kind of sustained attack on We have barely a handful of 10 or 12 reporters on the field, of which five or six are facing these kind of things. And I'm just pointing out the most recent one. Just means that in reality, to do the job of journalism has been more difficult today than it has ever been at any point of time in our history. And national security is obviously the pretext. There is a danger, we are anti national, we are doing statistics, things, etc. So I think that's the just a very big question because it's something interesting which is unprecedented. In the past, when there were attempts to harass journalists, so there were attempts to bring this against them, was it with this national security narrative around it? Because that obviously changes the, even for the public. You know, it's going to be much more difficult to drum up support for a journalist if they're being accused of a national security Do you feel that there's been an increase in that language? Or, you know, given there have been examples of the from the past, what is the way in which the intimidation of journalists done that different? Well, look, so what we've seen, and I think it is, people are saying this quite correctly, we are seeing the Kashmirization of the rest of the country. In Kashmir, this was already common practice. What happened in Zubair's case, is that you are out in one case, five other cases are filed. In Kashmir, people have been behind bars for almost a decade where there is no case has been upheld. You are out, another case out another case, nothing is ever sustained. Takes the He gets bail, there is a PMLA case that is. So we've seen suddenly the national security discourse taken from the border where we were all content. A lot of the country was quite okay with what was happening in Kashmir as long as it was happening. Kashmir now it has come home to everybody here and the same procedures are being used. Now the second thing that has been used is the, Rebecca mentioned it, that at one point of time journalists were considered immune from government sort of what this government has done is recognize journalism against journalism. That is, prime time is devoted to castigating the few journalists who are doing their jobs. So, already the position of the journalist and faith in journalism is weakened. And then, at the back of that, if you put in the case of national security, then the public outrage is not uh, at the government, but it is at the journalist who is actually helping the truth. This is just a good opportunity now to go to the map to talk about the, um, the way in which these kind of laws are being used in this manner. Now, one will be helpful in what you can just say that in, I think there's obviously been a bit of a discussion in the top of the U.S.A. and the U.S.A. and the U.S.A. and the U.S.A. in the U.S.A. since I think both of you have really wanted to kind of get into that aspect of how Kashmir and even seeing this stuff and it's now becoming more and more used elsewhere. So how is it that, you know, what are the various because, I mean, it's one thing to say, fine, it's just you know, the laws in this But are there aspects to these laws which are creating grounds for them to be in themselves? So it's not just about having a bad actor in the world, but the way the law is framed itself is almost invite abuse. So, one, if you can take us to something about that, some of the examples which we've seen in particular where you've seen this work and, you know, into the term that are facing in the scene, say, you know, not just the Thailand, you know, maybe the five thousand, so it's a lot of that. And 
you know, there's, there's no way in which the law is being used to take that impunity. Uh, you know, how does that work? Something like, I mean, that is, is that something you really need to start asking us as a user, you know, since they are laws that we got? Uh, just a couple of big ticket things I want to flag before I respond specifically to this. First, to just keep in mind, uh, given what we are discussing here, and I suppose has been part of the conversation since morning, uh, I think we need to also find vocabulary. And I think this is a task we are going to give to the journalists and particularly news monitor people. Uh, we need to find language. Uh, which communicates national security is state-sponsored language. It's a language that we have adopted without any critique. So we need to find phrases that communicate people's security. Because national security does not mean our security. Uh, otherwise, the budget would look very different in the country. So let's find language to express our views. A phrase that we hear very often now, not just in on television, on Twitter, etc., but it has entered justice. And it has not entered this kind of language entering judgment and legal uh, discourse, legal argument, to my mind, is extremely dangerous. And we need to put a halt to it because, before you know, it could well be an attempt to international. And so we, and I'm not joking, we know that there is an entire process underway with the Ministry of Affairs to have an overhaul of criminal laws, including the Indian Penal Code, and in fact, etc. So don't be surprised by what may come from the Which brings me to the question that. Natasha asked about, um, you know, how do we look at this and which um, was referred to. So for very long when we spoke about Kashmir or prior to that, uh, much more attention was paid to the Northeast where Aspaceta was there and we used to talk of it as a state exception and, you know, using the Italian philosopher Lombard's uh, juridical uh, definition that he gave. Where is that state of exception today? And what is the exception today? And has that in any way petered into what is happening all over? And what do we need to, uh, you know, I think very rightly you have first pointed out some of us have been around uh, for a little longer. Do we need to revisit what was it that we didn't pay sufficient attention to? And are those processes, those practices today? Uh, have they been mainstreamed all over, including in laws, legal processes, and actions, particularly of the state and law enforcement agencies? Let us take a quick example. Makasha um, mentioned the Pegasus matter, and the Chief Justice of that time, Chief Justice of India, Justice Ramana, said uh, that I have said so in Anuradha Basin judgment, which we know was about the internet shutdown. That national security is not a free pass that will be given to the state, and it will be subject to judicial review. It's important to recall that the state actually argued, and since I was representing Anuradha Basin, uh, and on the aspect of freedom of press and internet shutdown, we were making a connect. The state actually argued that this is a national security matter and therefore will not be subject to judicial review. That was a huge push the state tried to make. The court blocked it and said, no, these orders of suspension of the of internet, um, 144 orders, will be subject to judicial review, and national security will not give you a free pass. And that was the argument on which the Pegasus Committee was set up. We were asked as citizens to go ahead and give our devices, which many citizens did. The state, according to the court, refused to cooperate. Please understand what is happening today. You have a state that is constantly undermining, if not subverting, the rule of law. Who is trying to keep the rule of law alive? It is the citizens who have been burdened with that. The state no longer wants the rule of law to be in practice. 
if the if the state does not cooperate, what kind of adverse consequences to be drawn? What kind of legal consequences must follow? These are all questions that have been left open because the report has been filled. Hopefully, at some point, there will be legal explanation of that uh, report and the story will move forward. Uh, in Kashmir, for instance, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this. There is, of course, a public safety act forever and ever. What would these laws to, to respond to the question that inherent in these laws, preventive detention laws, which as many of you who come from the field of law would be familiar, there is a discordant note. In fact, that is the word used in the Constant Assembly Act. This is a jarring note. In Article 22 of the Constitution, where very, very important legal rights that you will be produced before a magistrate within 24 hours. You have a right to have a lawyer of your choice uh, to represent you. You will be informed of your grounds of arrest. And right there comes preventive detention, saying that if it is you are arrested under preventive detention, then these rights will not apply. So from the, from the time of the founding of the Indian Constitution, there was uh, there was uh, a heightened attention paid to issues of national security and state given that for preventive detention purposes. It's my understanding that that kind of attention to state having certain extraordinary powers over all civil liberties actually has an underlying presumption. The presumption being that. Uh, the state will act in good faith. The state will exercise this power only where required for quote unquote national security purposes. Everybody here can think for themselves how is that power being exercised. I'll give just three quick examples. Mia Kayum, president of the Srinagar Bar Association, was arrested as were many others when the application of Article 376 place. And in the High Court judgment, which actually makes fascinating reading, he was placed under Public Safety Act. And in the High Court judgment, the court says his ideology is like a live volcano. And therefore, it can never go still because he has this different ideology. And therefore, how can you say that now he will not act in this manner? He can always continue to act in this manner. And maybe he should consider whether he'll make a statement, etc., giving that up. The matter came to the Supreme Court. Mr. Vishwanthavya and I represented Mia Kayum, and uh, similar questions were raised. And of course, we said our client is not going to make any uh, uh, declaration about his ideology. Then you have, uh, and we know that under public safety act, without trial, without charge, you can be there for two years. You have Asif Sultan, journalist in Kashmir, has been arrested since 2018, if I'm not mistaken. What did he write about? He wrote about overground workers. Of course, no other journalists, they need to write about a whole manner of things. What the state described as overground workers. So he wrote about some militants and how increasingly young people are attracted towards militancy, post Bhutan money. But you're going to write about that. Who are you going to communicate with? Who are going to the people you're going to talk to? Who are going to be your kind of contact? So they say, oh, you were in touch with overground workers of militancy. If digital devices have been taken, then perhaps there's some discussion on digital devices in the earlier session. And of course, nothing has yet been put in court. There's no charge. There's no uh, charges have not been framed. And of course, what is a digital device of a journalist going to hold? All the contacts. Then you have Panacha. 2011, an article was written. He's the editor of a news portal called Kashmirwala. Somebody else wrote the article. Yes, as a publisher, he has a legal liability, undoubtedly. And he is now under PSA and UAPA. UAPA, which says advocates, advisors, affairs. Section 13 and Section 18. I don't know what we are advocating here. But that's how broad it is. And no, it's not this government, yes, did make some amendments of individual terrorists, etc., in the UATA. But many of these, as uh, of course, has pointed out, 
have actually a long legacy. This could not begin today. The state has been functioning in a certain manner. Today, it is not the way the process of the punishment is a, is a, is a phrase we use very casually now. I actually don't agree with that anymore. I think we've gone past that stage. It's not the weaponization of law. The law is the weapon. Law is no longer enabling. Show me any sphere of life where law is the enabling tool that we have. I fortunately, and I did have thought, we grew up at a time when law was used to enable, encourage, uh, enjoy, expand rights. Today, law is not playing that part anymore. I mean, I know that we got some young students uh, from <laughs> law school and from the American school as well. Unfortunately, this is what the people I mean, when I went to law school, uh, I think, I mean, we were probably wrong. I think we were still still working for the next 10 years. And at that time, we still were thinking, hey, you know, this is, as you said, it's just an enabling system. The courts are in that situation, that's an enabling system. That's what they say, that's, you know, it's really not been happening. Now, one of the things which came up a little bit during the last five seconds was the disability and and one of the interesting points, uh, which I think Adhanandan had asked, that, you know, what, is, what was the actual origin? One of the funny things is, the origin of the PMLA wasn't even for terrorism, wasn't even for any of it, for drug money. Because it, was, it came out all the discussions in the 80s and the 90s, and it was in 1999 that India started talking about it. So this is key, you know, your 9-11 and And during the time when they came up with a statement to public solutions, only talks about drug effects and why we need to tackle that. Because now it's just become this absolute catch-all uh, for everything. But what I want to ask you is, what we're seeing now is whether it's PMLA, whether it's now ITU, the new ITU, there's all these new ways in which you are seeing these laws which aren't even actually about national security are being used to now come out with them. The language still is a national security question. When, when they went for the PMLA case, they said, oh yeah, yeah, you know what, the reason why this is so important is money laundering is as bad as terrorism. Individuals to shut down individuals, which is why I think 
there is too much problem in emphasizing individual journalists, individual professionals, etc. That doesn't matter. Individuals can be very easily set up. We are now trying to institutionally squeeze the money that is going in. What happened with the U.S. case? They wanted to open up court funding for new court. What is happening with the use of PMLA? What happens with the rates on CKS? The rate of on the ITSM. It has nothing to do with foreign funding. It has nothing to do with anything. It is funded by the three top industrialists in this country which are posing with the government in the first place. You are not looking at their funding. You are looking at the funding when they are giving chicken. I just really like it. I want to use the We are giving peanuts to peanuts to small organizations who are doing something. So why when the instinct is that when we are in the situation where the law doesn't matter, we have to work under the agreements that the limit is possible for the world war. So when it becomes impossible, we have to accept the system. During that time, when you think that, you think that how long do you, I mean, do you see that coming? Like, I mean, because the crews are tight. Do you see that? So the opposite. I mean, this is a very perverse argument that I'm going to say. My understanding of the there was recently a discussion with us to part in the day we had been assigned in. I said, I don't know what to do, I don't think that's the issue. If one is first, it lives off the debt of the other. It also survives under the facade of process. Wants to project here a democratic constitutional country. It wants to boast to the fact that we are still in possession of a free media, that we are part of this larger democracy. In some senses, I sometimes feel that we exist in organizations like this. We exist in organizations that do their job, after all, we have a free media. So I don't think you will see a complete piece. You will just see tightening, signals, never a complete erasure. So I think in that space, the space for us to do our job. Can that job be effective is another question. So I mean, given that I think, I think one of the key things both of you talk about here is a need to also accept and understand what the narrative situation is. Talk around the goal, like the old rule of the So we talk about this measure being taken as illegal. It goes against that judgment. That's not what's relevant anymore in a sense. But, that's the reason. We are to understand their jobs. We want them to be able to do their job well. What is happening? What is happening to the industry? One of the things that we can talk about is journalism. What are the things they can rely on? What are the legal strategies they can rely on? Um, and what are the things we need to start demanding from them? The two part question is what we now know. And we've recently discussed it before. What about the other questions? Do journalists have some sort of special protection that they can rely on? Is that even a fair thing to say that something you can really think about? Is that something you can try to use when it comes to the system? I mean, because I told someone to ask you, uh, once we had, we got to be now, I want to ask you about uh, something which both of you talked about, which is the fact that, you know, we've seen the previous usage of languages of exception, the previous usage of uh, allowing this stuff to happen. So, what are the kind of changes we need to bring about in our language and things which we can bring up talk about? So, what are the sort of ways in which we can stop falling big? So, to start with that. Are there any special protections? Are there any kind of special procedures? Okay, the journalist can use to be like, you know what, the way I feel about the press is this concept that you're in touch with. It is something which you can actually use. So we should think so. And before everybody thinks that a social liar advocating that we are in those days, I don't think either of us are. So if we are sending that signal, we are bad communicators. But that's not what we do. If we've done this so long, and we're not trying to tell you to give up, at all. Actually, it's just that one needs to recognize what is there, and you develop new tools, and each generation actually develops better and sharper and newer tools. So it's not to say there's nothing to be done. There's lots to be done in the court, and there's a huge amount of work to be done by journalists, whether they are, in whichever way they are um, considered, whether as individual, independent, or with uh, portals or magazines or whatever. So there is a lot to be done, and no, the government is, it's not as though the state has silenced everybody, we will be here. And it hasn't silenced us because we have refused to be silenced, it's not that the state is benign. The state is never benign. Um, the state actually has to, as we said, it's very interesting, if you go to uh, the UN, 
There is this universal periodic review process that happens. It's going to happen again in November. And it's fascinating to hear. Usually, I don't know who's going to represent and lead the government of India this time. In the past, it's been the Attorney General. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Banavati went twice on Pakistan's address. The Attorney General in the last occasion, uh, if I recall correctly. And what do they? What is the field in the court that the court uses there in the international fora? Constitution, Chapter Three, Supreme Court, all the judgments in which lawyers like me would be called all manner of names, uh, uh, you know, applauding our work, would all be the ones they will cite there. So, Akash is absolutely right. This uh, stay at the largest democracy. That chapter three is what they hang on to, and then functional, vibrant court legal system, and of course, whenever in doubt, Mahatma Gandhi. So uh, that's uh, that's what they they hold on to to save themselves in the international domain. Um, coming to the question that you asked about, practically speaking, what are yeah. the things so whether they have any special protections, I think you infer from various judgments, whether they are bail orders, even the Pegasus order, which actually talks about journalistic sources, because as we know, cat uh, editors and others went to court in the Pegasus matter, if I'm not mistaken, and Ram is one of uh, the petitioners, and the court notes that if this kind of uh, malware, uh, state surveillance, state snooping, is going to take place, uh, journalists will not be able to do their work. So it, it actually notes that they have a special role to play. If you look at judgments given bail, Arnab Goswami, Amit Devgan, Siddhika Anasjaskot, Zubair, I think there is an underlying understanding of the targeting is happening because they are And therefore, while everybody should have a right to be, it's not as though they have an extraordinary right to be, it's not written anywhere, either in the law or a judgment, but there is that you can't be going after people whose job it is. All of them are not actually calling out those in power, but whose job it is to call out those in power and ask the inconvenient questions. If you go back to the earlier emergency era judgments of Sakal Papers, Indian Express, where the state tried to control the production through, uh, you know, how many pages to be circulated in court duties, etc. Again, the court case, um, a certain amount of leaders said no state control will not be allowed. Coming back to Anuradha, where is internet recognized as a fundamental right, where it connects with your freedom of speech and expression and right to practice the profession of faith? So I think you can read into certain judgments that there is a, an understanding, a judicial appreciation that journalists do need, uh, their liberties need to be protected in certain ways. Um, I think that, that's a very, that's something which, you know, also, there are, I mean, this is, this is in the course and at the same time, there is also the fact that, you know, it's sometimes, it's a very long time before, so that, that's what I think about it. Uh, I guess one thing which I wanted to ask you about, you know, we're talking now, we're going, we're trying to talk about how do you deal with the best of the Both of you talked about how we have a question there. When is it happening? It's been for very long time. It seems to be not common. There were people who were doing it, but was there not? Was the language that has to be used when talking about these things to that have been different? And today, you know, uh, I once had to make this argument in the aftermath of the narrative. Should we now at this point start fixing the way we look at when, we, when journalists are reporting on this case, we try to do it with as we talk about it. This is a question they say, and then we talk about it. This is wrong. This is what should we implicitly start from the assumption that this is going to be a mistake? And should our language start to reflect these kind of things in these cases so that we see? Prevent the language of the state sponsored language of allowing itself to become embedded in our own language to understand. You really ask me this is a much larger question. Our power to resist or power to act is decided by the circumstances of our 
to create a current circumstances to make the also has to do with a larger problem that we as journalists for the country is It is simply this that journalism and the constitutional democracy is dedicated on the idea of the existence of public. That these are reporting, then dispassionately journalists are reporting and then say, yeah, the government is doing something wrong here, we must raise our voices, we must protest, and then the institutions act accordingly. We are in the situation today that they are in the We are in the situation where the country is divided into I don't know what the analogy would be. It is like everybody is a football fan, they born on a t-shirt, most people are wearing the team more t-shirt. If you are writing against team more Then you are writing against my team, I am not going to pay attention to you. It doesn't matter what the logic of the process is you follow. It doesn't matter how well you plan your job, it doesn't matter how well the story is being preserved, it is not going to be When I compare this to Kashmir, it was the same thing. Under the guise of national security, the rest of the country was not willing to be a good average difference that there was something wrong going on. Today, now the same could happen because once the rest of the country is not willing to be even when they say there is something going wrong, there is anywhere else. So, in these circumstances, larger attitude permeates to this particular at personal level, people who are part of the enforcement of the judiciary, etc., reflect this in their personal things. That it then seeps into the system, that it seeps into the judgments, into the language, it's very difficult to do. So, yeah, we have to make sure we don't fall into that. We have to keep doing that right. In that sense, maybe I need to get very clear. I'm not holding out much hope. Why is the act of resistance is an act of resistance because you think that is the right thing to do and you must also partially enjoy the act. I mean, I think you always that you should not be coerced or forced by some power who are acting like So I think we are in it for the long haul. It's going to be a long time before things turn. But as I said, there is a space within which it is still possible. But we must not think. I know the different public responses to both those things. When we did the Why are you doing those stories? What is your motive? You are anti-national. In five years, the very idea of public that must respond to that drives the democracy has been changed and manipulated to the point where you cannot expect the same kind of response. That is a problem that cannot be solved within the domains that we are talking about. You must recognize that. That doesn't stop us from doing what we do. I think there are some things, hopefully, you know, as John Pitcher is going to be able to come up with that kind of language. There are some demands that we can make in the court. I mean, one of the things we talked about in the some brief attempts. You know, you know the objective is not in the public. There's neither the parliament nor the government are in the public rules or laws for bringing more accountability or doing things. Can we say, what is the, what is the only thing that we're trying to say is, to make requests for accountability to the court for when we still have that file. Because if it's the file, people are stuck in jail. They get out. We heard a little bit earlier about how, for instance, malicious prosecution can only file after the female is an actual acquittal. given to women. People marched on the streets and got it out of the government. 
and that's how rights have always been got. Uh, and there are, uh, you know, we saw that the, uh, the phase of emergency where the Supreme Court failed uh, its people and did not uphold the constitution that it had formed. And then, of course, after far too long, it reckoned with its mistakes. It's just that I don't think institutions can be allowed to apologize periodically. I think there's something wrong with that. So, uh, yes, this whole engagement and advancement of rights has happened through inside the court with people's struggles and social justice movement. And that's how the system of democracy works. Whether it is, you know, I have my friend Samona sitting here, who's a lawyer, she works on uh, uh, tribal rights, forest rights. How did those laws happen? Those kind of changes in law happen to social justice movements, yet being compelled to comprehend them. Neither the executive nor the court can be expected to be these enlightened people who are going to give anything. The fact that today malicious prosecution is uh, an issue that is being repeatedly raised at, in many fora. I remember addressing in NLUD about five years ago the issue of malicious prosecution where a Supreme Court judge of Sri Lanka was sitting. So these are new ideas that come into the legal domain and through judgment, through litigation, we actually advance ideas. And there is back and forth. There's no period, there's no golden age where everything was perfect in the court, at least it never is. And you will have some judgments which will be, uh, some of us may seem like they are not in keeping with the constitutional letter and spirit. So the court is the space of advancing rights, litigating, constantly raising new ideas. Accountability of the state is, to my mind, the key to everything. It was the, it's the key to, you know, uh, uh, referred to earlier parts of 84, etc. The issue of mass crime, the issue of accountability of state for many of us, uh, living in Delhi started with 1984. What are the key questions we raised then which we are raising till date? We didn't spring to light in 2002. Uh, our accountability of the state. This government says they want to decolonize the laws. Excellent. You pick up the Indian Penal Code. Please see which is the shortest chapter in the Indian Penal Code. Crime by state. What is happening around you? Why are the public servants, those in state executive, those in state power, not being held accountable. Let's change the industry. But to what extent create accountability of state? Creating accountability of state actors is the key to a democracy. And that is where we need to put our litigation. Thank you guys. That was, uh, I think we've also, I think, I do still want to see if you can just look quickly that three questions from the audience. So, uh, I'm sorry that we, you know, this, is, this has gone on so late. So, uh, so we have to respond with three questions. Uh, okay, okay, so uh, why did you have the young man there? Thank you for the talk. You pointed at use of language in the court. I really want to understand. I'm a law clerk at the court. I want to understand. You want to take my name? <laughs> yes. And, uh, so I just finished the uh, Indian pieces on constitutional morality. And last month of my work, there was an FCI judgment which said that it undermines constitutional morality if the state is not able to defend the resources within the country. Now, my question to you is very specific. You said you're a lawyer, right? You say murder, and then say murder is a good thing. We ought to be and be sitting in Understand when we do what we really mean. I mean, this is coming into judgment. What is constitutional morality? I mean, I think no one needs to do Yes, the solicitor general says that there's an allegation against the social activist is more than murder. And do we know what murder means? Is the profession so weak? Is the system so poor? Is this 
My question again is, we had a basic chat about this also, you know, you talked about the use of language like that. How do we get the code to stop this kind of language? I tell you, uh, this is a period in this country of contestation of ideas. It will happen in the courtroom also. To imagine that the court, which really still to for many areas of life, kind of power, remains an arbitrary for now. This contestation of ideas will not enter that domain. I would not imagine that. But in fact, I think this kind of um, uh, uh, you know, this kind of blurting out, which we see in some judgments now, the SPRA being one example. In the Satyabhati judgment, it's the activist sitting in air-conditioned rooms. I mean, when did we last time hear a judgment talk like that? Uh, where are the judges? Yeah, I didn't say that. So, you know, and why is an air-conditioned room a problem? I've not understood. I mean, either we want to be Gandhian, we don't want to be Gandhian in our mode of economy, we need to figure that part out of life. So, this contestation of ideas will end. And that contestation is actually very severe. You have the places of religious worship. If I'm not mistaken, the issue whether constitutional morality is part of the constitutional preamble has actually been referred to a bench So, all these phrases are up, everything is up for grabs as to what, what means what. That's why I'm saying language is key to law. Uh, the interpretation of language and words is going to be key to how uh, we are going to think, how our freedoms are going to be described, and how power is going to be exercised. So, uh, this, this is the, I mean, as you said, it's also a very exciting case to be a lawyer. So, as you said, you actually have to enjoy the act of resistance. I don't feel that, oh my God, what is happening. I feel yes, it's a challenge. Let's, let's engage. It's very, it's also legally and intellectually extremely challenging. And maybe we need editors for like the judgment, judgments also now at this point. Yes, it's okay. All right, so we have a little bit. My name is Tina. When we talk about nationalism and uh, the legal part and journalism. I have seen two groups coming up. One group is where there is Mohammed Zubair, Siddiq Kappan, Fahad Shah, Nana Ayub to some extent. On the other hand, there is Arnab, Anish and Navika. So, can we actually... Almost this, almost the right conversation around, uh, you know, national security, journalism, and identity, the kind of identity probably the state is trying to target. And another point I wanted to make when we talk about uh, the legal language, the most scathing uh, observations on the Nupur Sharma case were all oral. They did not make it into the order or the judgment. So, when most of the things which are which need to be said are just, they're not making into the legal documents, like what, what, where do they stand then? State is targeting by identity, undeniably. I mean, you have to be totally blind to not know that. Should rights be allocated on identity and liberty be allocated on identity by courts? Never. What, should those comments on Nupur Sharma have entered the order? No. It has nothing to do with the court. Their judges are also going to react and respond and they're going to say certain things. Should Nupur Sharma's cases have been consolidated? Yes. Why are we reacting on identity and ideology? We will have to check ourselves also. I think the issue of, say, Arnav and Anish, I think that this is a good one to pick up because, you know, we saw everything done the right way there, right? It was picked up quickly. They consolidated the cases and Anish Tegans, Tegans case, even the earlier one against Arnab, with Arnab's case where he was arrested. Immediately all those comments about personal liberty, one, even one day. Yeah, but I'm saying the court when it... I think we must not, uh, we must not bypass it, and I think we are also playing this time. 
I'm not saying that the, what the court did was wrong, though. I'm saying what, what was the court absolutely did everything right in our next case. What I'm trying to say. So the question is, though, you know, how again now do we in the media have to now, because as Vinda said, we can't be in a position where we're saying, oh, for this case, we are going to come out and be like, you know, this is a good thing or a bad thing, and we come. And how do we bring up the fact that, you know, there are journalists for whom this is happening and it's good, and we have to make sure we are also, you know, able to point out
But how do you communicate? How do you write it? What are what is the what are the words you use? I think that helps a lot in nobody being able to. And as a lawyer, we are trained not to use language of a certain kind, and to ensure that the language states what we are saying without it being shrill, without anybody saying, "Oh, how did you say this? How did you use that?" In fact. What's interesting is that those representing the state are actually repeatedly using language that cannot be used in the courtroom, or should not be used, or at least is unprecedented as having been used in the courtroom. Uh, so I think there is that space, and it is about. I really think this this uh, battle is about a contestation of ideas about this country. It's going to go through a certain phase, but you know people are going to. There, there will be people who are going who are going back and forth from that sense. I know that there is a team. I agree, that team is large. But is it a static team? Are there others who are still trying to figure out what is happening, what is what they are thinking? I mean, so there is a there is a fluidity in the democracy which at least I am not giving up on. And uh, I think as journalists, as lawyers. We need to hone our skills of communication, both so that we are understood well, and because nobody catches you out. If I may, and it's only a mild reprimand on the language you use, that we must not exaggerate the nature of the problem we are facing. Most journalists are not under threat of losing their job. Most the government is not coming after most journalists. Most journalists should exercise. At least the limits of what they are allowed to do where they are. Unfortunately, that is not happening. Understand that the limits are different in the country. 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 All journalists in all three of these places are not on the spectrum. We must be careful. Sorry, guys. Sorry, my dear. 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 Thank you so much, Linda, for the conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for all this. Thank you so much. 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 Thank you so much.